This is the podcast for John Connor, and this is podcast number three. So a couple things we want to talk about before we get into John um, is uh, I've watched a couple movies this year, uh, some of the Academy Award nominees. One was 1917. If you haven't had a chance, check it out. Uh, it really is your, um, uh, it's classic Roger Deakins and his use of lens, lens choices and movement. And in this case, it's one fluid movement. Uh, with some with some breaks that that are interesting to see how he how he cut that or how it was cut in in the edit and really how much um, art direction and and um, character is so key to film uh, another of my favorites this year was parasite which uh, without spoiling the film uh, the the one scene where it's a uh, the the prime um, characters live is in a uh was built in a huge tank and uh you'll see why but if you if you have a chance please check those movies out and they're certainly worth uh um a dialogue in and and really how even though the movie subtitled and it was uh, just a bunch of fun to watch and so um, also, the a documentary, if you have a chance to check out, is called The Pharmacist. Uh, it is a three, I think three, three or four part series on Netflix and uh, kind of classic. Uh, I, I would look at it as a template to, to at least do a future documentary. You really see how they meld in characters. Uh, in this case, this pharmacist was uh, a stickler for notes and recordings and, and everything else, which I think helped make the documentary because without these assets, I don't think it could have been done. But it's, um, it's worth the watch, and if you get a chance, go see that. Uh, we've had a chance to shoot with a couple cameras. The, uh, uh, the Mini LF, which had just come out, is a, um, as you well know, is a large-format camera. Um, the, the image is, is what would be expected to be stunning, but... Um, I, uh, I think as, as anything else, it has its challenges as far as focus and, um, how, how do you manage that depth of field? And, and just, it opens a whole new world to, to kind of, uh, not only composing your shots, but how, how you're going to use it in everyday storytelling. But nonetheless, it's, it's a tool, but it's, it's certainly a compelling tool. One side project we've been trying to do is make some lenses. Um, I'm going to call them baby K35, Canon 35 lenses, using uh, what's a readily available 55, I think it's 1.2, a 24-1.4 and an 85-1.2 to build a mini set. Um, the K35s were modeled. I don't know which chicken or the egg thing came first, but I believe that they... Uh, were modeled after the 55 or the 55 was modeled after the K35 um, lenses. So if you, if, if you get a chance to, to snag those, especially on a full frame sensor, those would be um, a worthwhile investment. You just have to be patient enough to get them declicked and, uh, you know, rehousing them brings up a whole nother uh, dollar amount. But if you can have a reliable way of putting gears on them and declicking, um, those three lenses again the 24 i think is running if you can find it is is close to two thousand dollars and uh the cheapest 85 i saw was um i think 600 so you're, you're still gonna spend some money on it but i think it's well worth it um as far as the business side we're trying to redo our website and uh whether or not you know how does a reel really affect future work and i i feel it's important you know i'm certainly 
proud of what we have up there and I'm not so proud of some of the things we have up there and I, I'm working on refining some of that. Um, for future podcasts, I'm uh, trying to put together a roundtable of some of our um, closest friends who have been on recent sets here in Cleveland and um, just to really get their perspective on being on a, a, a live set. Uh, so I'm excited to have that and, and also talk about some uh, basic equipment breakdown and uh, how, how we use it on a set as well as uh, to, to make our day more efficient, things we try to do with that because after all, um, your time is money and also you have to use your labor. If you can cut a two-day shoot into one-day shoot, that certainly is more efficient. And also how to be efficient in post and how we're trying to tackle that and and uh, really do the best we can. So I'm excited about all these things coming up. I really appreciate uh, you giving this a listen and seeing what you can do to hopefully spread this word. I'm trying to make this short and and hopefully digestible. But uh, now let's go on to John. And um, I'm excited about John. He I met him at Masters in Motion. He had founded Masters in Motion, which is a, if you do not get a chance, if there's anything you get out of this podcast, please look it up. Uh, he has done this for, gosh, I'm going to say um, at, at least, um, I, I think if not five, he's, he's close to seven years, where he um, has a workshop of some of the most, I would say, prominent names in filmmaking, whether it be from directing to um, a director of photography and, and set design. Some of the best parts of this workshop is being able to see the director of uh, photography for Walking Dead, as well as the maybe the set de- uh, set decorator for Game of Thrones, sitting next to each other having a beer, and you're able to just at least kind of exchange ideas, and and, and they're more <laughs> you're more learning from them and hearing their experiences, and uh, it's it's very interesting how how not only talented these per- people are, but how humble they are and willing to share their their craft. So. Um, John is uh, based in Philadelphia, and he is also expanding his Master's in Motion program to Philadelphia. Uh, so without further ado, John Connor. Uh, so right. what, do you, what, what have you been up to? Uh, cur- currently close to finishing uh, editing a feature doc. Oh, cool. Is there, some, yeah, is there something you could tell us about or not yet? I'm not sure. I mean, I can I can talk about it. I don't know if I can say anything about yeah. like what it's what it's about or anything. But I can definitely talk about the the process. It's the the third one that I've done now, so sure. it's a it's a whole animal. You know? So I can definitely talk about feature docs in in general. Oh, that's that's great. How, how did well? Let's first of all tell me what you're doing with it. Yeah, so it was, it's actually um, actually kind of fun with with this one because I had I had finished uh, editing my second feature doc and things slowed down to the, to the point with you know work coming in where I started to I'm not going to say I panicked but I definitely got to the point where I I started to think um, I need to figure out what I'm going to do you know when you're freelance. The, the crazy thing about it is you literally never know. I, I mean, anytime I finish an edit, uh, that could be it. If no one ever calls me again, um, I'm no longer an editor. Um, 
so it's a so it's a bit of a, a struggle, you know, being freelance. Right. And I had hit one of those. I feel like it's always feast for famine. You, you know, you get hit up for a bunch of jobs at the same time, and then you have these down periods. And I was in in a down period, and I'd gone on a run for probably two two and a half years prior to that of just going from one job to the next, just word of mouth, nice. not really having to promote myself. And I started to get to the point where I was like, man, I really figure out what to do. Um, and then I just happened to have a vacation plan that I wasn't sure I was going to be able to go on. Uh, went on vacation. I said, you know what? I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to take this time off mm-hmm. and we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm on vacation. Uh, we're driving to, to go get on the plane to come back. Um, so I finally like turn my phone back on and start looking at stuff and I get a text. Hey, um, <clears throat> we're working on this documentary. Uh, you're the first person we thought of. Um, do you have time to meet next week uh, to talk to the director? Um, and so then I went in and, and had an interview with the director of the doc. Um, talked about, a, you know, uh, things I worked on previously. Um, just chatted a little bit. And then I left and sent the director an email and said, you know, I, I really... Um, feel connected to the subject matter. I, I love to do this doc, uh, but if it doesn't work out, even if you decide to go with someone else, I have a couple ideas that uh, got sparked in the meeting today. Um, I'd love to pass them along because I believe in what you're trying to do. And uh, I'd, I'd love to help out, even if I'm not the person that you go with. Um, and then I didn't hear anything for about a week. I figured they went with somebody else and then they uh, called me up and said, Hey, um, we'd love to have you be a part of it if you're still interested. And that's great. I, I so did that make you? Because uh, there's always that waiting time, and you're thinking, yeah, they just went with somebody else, right? And uh, were you already kind of writing it off? Well, it it was funny because the director, um, when I left, I felt like it went really, really well. Um, we had a great conversation. We we to be on the same page and then uh he told me like as i was leaving he said look just to be completely honest with you there i have um interviews set up with other editors um just do my due diligence blah 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 i would love to work with you but i just want to let you know um that i am uh meeting with other editors so yeah after after a week went by i thought okay i didn't you know i didn't get that one um you know, and I started to think like, should I have approached it differently? And, you know, I kind of thought at the end of the day, I went in there, I was myself. Because on, on a feature, um, you know, you're you're kind of tied to the hip to the director for the next, however long it's going to be, six, seven, eight months. Um, so I'd rather know who I am. I know, I know who they are. Uh, if I get hired, that's great. If not, then it just wasn't meant to be. Um, but yeah, I definitely kind of thought maybe I didn't do something right. Um, and I wasn't going to get it. And then I got it, which was fantastic. Where's a great process. Where's he based? The, com- the production company is based in Philadelphia. The director and the EP are in LA. Um, there's some other people involved in it that are in New York. And then we have a VFX artist, uh, that's overseas. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been interesting. Um, one of the biggest tools uh, that 
that's really helped us with everybody being all over the place is uh, Frame.io. Uh, it's really been a, I don't want to sound like a commercial for them, but really been a, a lifesaver as far as being able to work remotely mm. um, in post-production. Wow, man. John, that's, that's awesome, man. We actually just started using that, or at least kind of started using it again, right, James? And we, we we almost sound like commercials as well when we're talking to people because it has made it so much easier to work remotely, man. I think clients really appreciate it. There's many of those, but oh. it's... And those guys are great. We we met with them at NAB uh, just recently. And they were fantastic. So that's great to hear. Yeah. So yeah. Go ahead. That's a great. <laughs> and it, and it's so funny that you say that feast or famine. I think that's something that's so common for anybody that's a filmmaker or or just you know digital storyteller. So what are some of the lessons I guess that you've learned going through you know navigating that maze of as a filmmaker and what what's kind of one of the biggest takeaways or one of the things that you'd share with an up and coming filmmaker. One one thing that was interesting, um, I have a good friend that's a really talented cinematographer based in New York, uh, Khalid Mataseb, and he gave me some advice, I would say three, three and a half, almost four years ago. He said, what, what is it that you because at that point I had a website, and on the website, I had examples of stuff where I shot it, mm-hmm. um, things where I was director things where i was the editor it was kind of like all over the map and he said if you're going to try to take the next step um as far as the the quality of projects and stuff that you're working on he's like if somebody like a big agency or something like that come to your website and they see that you're a director you're a writer you're an editor you're a producer so they're not going to take you seriously when they're hiring it if they're going to hire an editor they want somebody that's an editor that's it he said, if you want another website where you advertise yourself as all these other things, you know, go for it. But if you're going to try to make your career as an editor, that's what you want to do. Um, he said, I, I think you're extremely talented as an editor. I think that's what you should do. But if that's what you decide, you have to have a front facing website where you're just an editor or no one's going to take you seriously. So I took his advice, made a website just editing. And the next six months, <laughs> I had like no work um, really coming in. And I thought, man, I think I made a big mistake here. And then um, I got hired as an editor. And then from there, it started to really take off. Um, and there there was a lot of times where I would talk to people and they were like, yeah, I kind of knew you were an editor, but I sort of forgot about it and whatever. And so I, I think I was very successful um once I got past that initial phase and just started promoting myself strictly as an editor where word of mouth really started to, to take off. And I would post, um, you know, post things on Facebook and Instagram, um, uh, about editing and some of the stuff I would, do. cause I feel like with that, it's a little bit more difficult than some of the other disciplines. Like if you're a cinematographer, you kind of have it made as far as, you know, trying to, promote yourself on Instagram because you're I mean you're in a visual medium you're going to be in cool locations um you're going to have a lot of opportunities to to take pictures that look really cool and promote yourself that way when you're an editor it's a little bit trickier because you're in a dark room uh by yourself there's not really a whole lot of cool shit happening um right. cool cool stuff happening if you need to edit no, no we don't <laughs> okay um so yeah, I had to I had to kind of find ways to, um, you know, 
make people remember that I'm an editor. Start yeah. doing screen grabs of timelines or um, one of the jobs I was just commuting to. Like I commuted from Philly to New York for seven weeks to edit uh, my first feature documentary on Muhammad Ali. And so I would just take pictures on the train, um, you know, stuff in New York, and then just, you know, hashtag it so that people saw, like, all right, yeah, this guy's an editor. It looks like he, I don't know, he's going to New York. He must be doing something pretty cool. Um, and so that kind of helped out. Where is that project, by the way? It, uh, are, are you, how far along in post are you? Has that been released yet, or where are we with that? Yeah. Yeah, that one, uh, that was the first feature doc that I did um, called Muhammad Ali, A Life. Uh, that came out on Epic um, and then also was released over uh, in the UK. I don't remember exactly what, where it came out there, but I know it's on Epic, uh, the cable channel. Okay. Um, yeah, so that, that, that one is out, out in, into the world. Um, and then I, the last doc that I worked on Mooch, uh, which was about Anthony Scaramucci, um, was released, it must've been a couple months ago, um, by Giant Interactive. So that's available on iTunes, Amazon, all, all those, uh, streaming services. Hey, so John, uh, was it hard because you know, you, we were uh, re reviewing that we started all about about the same time in the, we call it the DSLR revolution circa 19, I mean, 2009, when the 5D came out. And uh, I think that's the first interaction we had was uh, you had written a short article about uh, Trash the Dress that seemed like a million years ago. And you had talked to uh, Brian in our shop. When did you make that decision to say, man, I love being a DP, I love being a director, but I love being an editor the most. I had, um, the, the editing side of it, I had always, uh, I, I had always done just, you know, initially out of necessity, which is, it's kind of funny. I just got, um, a copy on VHS of the first, uh, the first thing that I ever shot, edited, um, from, I, I think maybe like 1993 when I was in seventh grade, uh, it was for a school project. It was Robin hood. Um, and back then I, I, the only way I could edit the thing was in between my camera and the VCR doing the, doing the pause record, uh, technique there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I just got that and, and watched it got maybe a week ago and it was pretty hilarious. Um, oh, I bet that's about to, oh, yeah. great to look back at, right? Yeah, yeah, sort of. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to put. I'm, <laughs> I, I uh, ended up buying a VCR from a thrift shop around the corner. I'm going to. I digitized it, so I'm going to like recut it and, and release that at some point. Uh, here. Oh, you have to. Um, you have to. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, and I'm sure there's no loss yeah. of quality going from one copy to the other, right? I'm sure it's. <laughs> It was like no, two, no. 240 or something we're talking right 240i yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's basically uh basically 4k it's so clear <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, it's that. so terrible but um yeah, it was it was fun like looking back at it and seeing some of the working around obviously we had no budget in seventh grade um 
but how we we kind of got around some things uh, creatively it was interesting to see that. Um, but so I've always I've always dabbled in. Um, I mean, I was I was in Adobe Premiere. Uh, I think it was. I think they used to call it CS, and then whatever. I think it was in CS six, and then it went to Premiere one, two, three. Oh yeah, maybe I was in Adobe Premiere six point five. Then it went to like CS one, two, three, and so I mean I've been editing since you know back then before you had to pay a monthly um, subscription to Premiere. I've been in Final Cut and Avid and all those things. So I've always dabbled in it um, and done it. I've always enjoyed it. Uh, I don't really know when the I'm trying to think when the exact turn took place I, I don't remember exactly but it, I think maybe just I felt like for me to to become like a serious CP uh, it was going to take me like a lot of catching up and with editing it's um, it's always been sort of the same tech, sure the software and everything changes but I've been doing it for so long mm-hmm. that I just felt like most natural easiest um, way for me to kind of break in and kind of jump to the next level. Where do you think you're going to head with that? Um, as you know, with with this, uh, you could edit anywhere now, uh, especially with Frame.io, and and you know it'll be not too long where you can upload content to the web, and you'll be able to get dailies. You don't even have to be on set, right? You could you could do dailies remotely. They're already doing that to some extent. Um, what do you see happening in the near future? Because you know you talk to a lot of these content creators and. And what, where do you think the trend's going for an editor? Um, yeah, I think with, with editing, I think uh, it's already headed that way, but I think you're going to see a lot more, to a degree, uh, being a remote editor is becoming a lot uh, less uncommon. Um, where now, I mean, this, this doc that I'm working on, the, the company's based in, Philadelphia, but uh, I would say beyond that, the majority of of the work I get, it's literally uh, a lot of times people will mail me a hard drive. Um, So I think that is a a thing that over the last couple of years was new. It used to be, I need an editor and they need to be based in, you know, this location or that location. So I think we'll continue to see that happening. quite a bit and then i think with uh i mean there's still obviously situations when when you're working with a director where you need to be in the same room um to have conversations um and kind of you know go through things and hash them out um but i I think you'll see a lot more of that um and then with you know with, with some of these services like netflix um now disney is is uh, getting they're gearing up to, to come out with a push. I just think it, there's a lot more content that's being um, created and consumed. Um, VR, I don't know, you know. I don't know where that's headed in the augmented valley. I haven't really dipped my toes into that. Um, but there seems to be a lot of a lot of push behind that. So I, I guess we'll kind of where that's all headed to 
Yeah, that, um, seems, that seems like a whole nother animal, you know. I mean, just it it, it seems yeah. like a whole nother thing. Yeah, I, I yeah having um we had the diamonds at, at Masters of Motion, and they were talking a bit about that, but I haven't really dipped my toes into anything VR yet. Um, yes. I'm happy to I'm happy to keep on the trajectory that I'm going on. Uh, that seems. <laughs> For sure, John. And yeah, that's actually know. great. You mentioned Masters of Motion. That was the next thing we were going to ask about. Tell us about that. I mean, I know we've we know about it uh, being in the industry. It's a pretty awesome event. You want to talk a little bit about that? How you started it and kind of what it's grown to today? Yeah, um, like like you were talking about back in two thousand nine when uh, DSLRs that whole that whole thing happened. Um, Christina had bought a five D, and then when the seven D came out, I bought a you know, one of the first seven D's, um, that was out there. And so I started a blog at the time, just since we were, um, transitioning from traditional video cameras and film equipment into DSLRs. Um, I started a blog just to sort of help out other people, um, that were going through the same thing. Uh, she had a photography background, so she was a lot more familiar with the camera and, and how it worked. Um, and I was more from the traditional background. So it was kind of a, a good, good combo there, um, with our backgrounds. And, um, yeah, we were just trying to help other people out, uh, figuring out how do we shoot with these things, uh, with the limitations, um, on them. And then the blog kind of grew into a small little community. Um, and then we did a, a workshop in, in Philly. Um, and it was crazy. It was like a month ahead of time. We announced it sort of spur of the moment and the thing sold out. And then we ended up having people at the door showing up with cash. Like, come on, just like, let me in. We're like, this is crazy. If, if it's wow. like that, it must be like that, like all over the country. So then we did a 12 city, um, us score with, with the filmmaking workshop. And it was, wow. I mean, fantastic. The crazy thing when the crazy thing when we did that though was that what what we would do was after every workshop it'd be like eat out whatever a day long workshop and afterwards we would go out for drinks with everybody mm-hmm. and we ended up realizing that that was like one of the best parts of the whole thing um, but then we'd be on a plane and off to the location mm-hmm. so we decided all right we're gonna do this again but we need to make it longer so that we can actually get to know people that are coming to the workshop. Um, cause that networking is awesome, right? Like that's a huge part of what you guys are offering is, you know, getting into that network and networking with rubbing elbows with some people that they want to talk to. Right. Yeah. And, and crazy. Um, I mean the, the level of the speakers that we're getting now is just, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. pretty surreal where I don't even believe it at the time. Like when I'm sending out the email and it's like, here's some of, here's some of our past speakers, the DP of Jurassic Park. Um, (laughs) you know, it just doesn't like, it doesn't even feel real. Um, but so with that, I mean, the, the level of speaker and the quality that we're bringing as far as education, I, I think is, I mean, I, I would match it up against anything out there. I don't know what else is going on, but, um, besides that, it attracts the audience that it attracts. Um, it's just so great to be able to talk to all these other cool people, um, that think, along the same lines that you're thinking and are like kind of into the same thing, but have like different ideas. And, um, yeah, the attend like the attendees, like they're 
level, their quality of work that they're doing um, is insane. So when we're going out at night, besides hanging out and talking with people that have been working on, you know, huge Hollywood films, um, just the people that attract, it's, it's become like a family. And a lot of people say when they leave the event, um, it feels like summer camp is ending, you know? <laughs> Well, I, I was there a couple of years ago, and and I, I got to tell you, I could not believe. Like, it, you're right, the, the talks are fantastic, but then you're out at a bar, and there you're talking to the DP of you know Game of Thrones, and then right next to him is the you, uh, the DP of uh, you know uh, Walking Dead, and the editor of you know of uh, of um, a Birdman. It, it's you're not going to get that just anywhere, and they're so down there, they're willing to share. And you're absolutely right. That that's probably one of my favorite things. And getting to see your buds again, it uh, you know having coming back from NAB, this is just a lot more. I think, like you said, directed and focused for filmmakers. Yeah, it's been it's been fantastic. It really uh, we we really view it as. I mean, it's a huge undertaking. It's difficult to 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 do it while we're also you know we have two daughters and then also trying to make it as a freelancer. And then this on top of it, um, it's almost, I mean, it's almost a full-time job in and of itself. Um, so it's, it's tough to, to juggle it sometimes, but then just, I mean, the feeling that we get when we're there and seeing all these people connecting and then later on seeing people that met each other at Masters in Motion and now they're out working on film projects together and, and whatever um, else, like it just makes it all worth it. It's pretty pretty awesome you know the only thing bad about masters in motion that it doesn't happen twice a year to be honest with you and i know you would hate that but it'd be great if it wasn't you know you have to wait a whole darn year to to if you if you miss it so that's you know that that's just that's the only quote-unquote uh tough thing about it um yeah and, and we i mean there's nothing uh i don't have any like news at this at this particular moment i mean that's something we've uh we definitely talked around so Keep, it, keep an eye out. For sure. See what happens. Absolutely, man. Uh, another thing we noticed, too, is you guys are very sensitive to the fact that people learn differently, right? Like some people learn more from lecturing. Some people learn more from hands-on. And I, it's it's pretty noticeable you guys have implemented both those into the structure of Masters in Motion. I guess, has it always been like that? Or when did you decide to go in that direction? Because it's pretty awesome. Yeah, no, I think the, if I'm not mistaken, I think the first year that we did it, I think all in the Alamo Draft House in the movie theater. Um, and so at the end of every year, uh, we give we send out a, a survey to everybody um, that's attending, and we take all of the feedback um, that people give, and uh, we take it very seriously and try and figure out every year, okay, what, what worked really well, what didn't work, um, and try to be very honest uh, with ourselves in assessing what worked and what didn't, and then evolve from there and, and try to keep making it better and better. Like one year, um, we had I think eight eight different breakout sessions, um, which was insane to to figure out and put together. And then we realized after it was done, like okay, we went we went overboard with that. Uh, that's too much. Mm -hmm. 
And so then the next year, uh, we scaled it back. So it's, a, it's an ongoing, evolving process. Um, right. Well, you guys are figuring out as you go, and it's definitely it's definitely working. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some stuff that we that we know now. You, you know, this will be the ninth year. So there's some things where it's, it's like filled in now. Okay, we know people like this. Mm-hmm. We're going to stick with that. But what can we what can we tweak um, with some of the other stuff? Like we have a. We have a trip um, this summer where we're going to be heading down to um, Texas to go uh, go take a look at a couple of things. We have, we have some ideas um, that we might want to try to implement. So we're going to go down um, and just scout scout a couple of things out and see if logistically it's a feasible option. That, but yeah, we're we're constantly. I mean, the day after it ends, we're already um, already plotting on the next year. What? Okay, what what was good while it's still fresh in our mind? What can we do next year to make it better? Um, yeah, so it's a year round year round process for that mm-hmm. three three days, four nights. We just we don't stop. Hey John, so what is the rate limiting step uh, in preventing you to expand into a bigger series? Is it just because you like that size, or is there limitations by sponsorship or anything else like that, or you're just basically happy how it is? I mean. You know what? What is your kind of um, vision for the future with with uh, Masters? Well, uh, me and Christine have talked. You know about obviously if we if we expanded um, the amount of people that could attend, uh, it would be way better for us because then we could probably profit off of it, which wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, but the problem I, I think that you run into. Um, when you're thinking about scaling up is it starts, it's going to lose because I've been to other things where, um, you know, they're, they're just trying to pack as many people in as they can, uh, so they can make money off of it. And when you start looking at the profitability as your, your main concern, you're going to start to lose something. And the biggest thing that we love about the way that it is right now um, is that it really does feel like family. It feels like a community. And I think if we, if we started to bring in, uh, you know, whatever, looking at a bigger venue, uh, having more people there as far as attending, um, you really would start to lose that where by, by the end of the three days, I'll, I know everybody that's there. I sure. look at them. I, I, I know their name. I know where they're from. I know what they do, um, and so then, like the next year, somebody will come up. Hey, I was here last year. I'm like, yeah, I already like I know you. Uh, your name's Alan. You're from North Carolina. Got a right. small production. Whoa! And, and they appreciate that authenticity, right? I mean, that's uh, that's what enables such a deep connection, right? Depth over width. Yeah, I think with I mean I think that's a big thing with with anything any endeavor that you're going into is authenticity, mm-hmm. especially now. Um, one, I mean I don't want to do, there's not like I don't want to do anything and put all this effort into it and whatever and it's just bullshit. I just mm-hmm. it's not how that's not how I'm wired. Like I can't I can't do that. We like it. Um, we actually were just selfishly asking because we were hoping there was more that we could try to attend to, <laughs> make it a little easier, more often than once a year. But that's awesome, man. We definitely agree with you on that. John, I, I really yeah. think, and again, without blowing blowing you up too much, but when you're there, I think people definitely sense that, and I think they know that you're connected to it emotionally. I, I've, 
And I wish I could remember the exact time when you were announcing a speaker or whatnot that you, you know, you got emotional because it was a, it was a very meaningful moment. And I, you know, I think people know that. And that's, I think that's what's really important. And, you know, you're, well, I think, yeah, go ahead. I think just within the last, um, <clears throat> I think it's just within the last two or three years that, uh, when we go to do the closing, maybe the last two years, we go to do the closing. Um, it's like, I haven't just broken down into tears. Um, because it really, I mean, by the time it gets to the end of it, like I'm running on not that much sleep to begin with. So maybe that's making me more emotional, but yeah, we're so, so invested in it. And, um, we just take, we don't take it lightly that people are leaving their families, um, leaving their jobs, spending hard earned money, um, to come and hang out with us. And it feels like a huge leap of faith if they've never been there before uh for, for them to take and so we don't take any of that lightly and we pour everything we have into it um and so yeah it gets we, we get we get a little emotional at the end and so i think that's why now um at the end i've, I've stopped trying to give any kind of a rah-rah speech and uh keep it short and sweet before i start crying um but yeah i think this year uh, you will start to see we're going to start rolling out um, content uh, through, throughout the year. We're gearing up on that. And we are looking to see how we can expand it without um, without losing that intimacy uh, of, of the three-day event down in Austin. So I think that will always be the main anchor, but I do think you will start to see um, more cool things coming from us. Well, that's exciting because certainly, I mean, the guests are always a draw, but I, I, I don't know. I think it's 50% that you get to, you know, uh, collaborate with the people that you met in previous uh, masters. Um, so, the, you know, again, we're, we're switch, switching gears a little bit to uh, what, what advice would you give to people who are, you know, a lot of us are in that middle road where they've, they've quote unquote kind of made it, but they're still going job to job and, and you know they've had some big opportunities, and then then you get this huge dry spell. How have you guys? How have you and Christina kept going and knowing that this is really what you want to do instead of getting a quote unquote regular job, full time job? Because it is our jobs and it is our vocation. Yeah, it's I'm, it's tough. Um, it does it it hasn't it hasn't gotten any easier. Uh, well, that might that might be a little bit of a lie. It has gotten a little bit easier. I should say that. Um, but it's still, I mean, I, I think we're all facing, you know, the same struggle. And then even people who have made it and are working on big stuff, um, they're, I mean, they're going through the, through the same thing. Uh, there's a, a, a director that I know is out in Hollywood and he's done a lot of big things. And then he's coming in to bid on a job and he's going up against people like, um, Spike Jones, you know, like that's terrifying. Um, but maybe I, I guess, you know, that part of it is never going to, I don't think it's ever going to go away. No matter how big you are, there's always going to be somebody that's as big or bigger than you, um, that you're going to have to, uh, be in the running against, um, so to speak for certain jobs. Um, I've, I found the biggest thing for me, as far as work goes, um, most of it has all been word of mouth. 
um, and recommendations from other people. And I think the key to doing that uh, and being able to keep that going is sometimes it seems like chance where I'll reach out to somebody that I haven't talked to in a while. Um, and then maybe like a week later, they're, they're working on a project. And uh, now I'm kind of fresh in their mind because we just talked. And they're like, oh, yeah. So I think part of it is that um, is making sure you um, you, you got a network. You have to have a good, a, a pretty good community of uh, fellow filmmakers. But I think there's a way to go about doing it um, and still making it authentic, not feeling like you're just almost like trying to use other people to advance yourself. Um, but I try to stay connected with people in an authentic way where I'll reach out to them um, and just really honestly, hey, how are you doing? What have you been up to? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think doing that, sometimes it works out. They'll, they'll end up with a project and now that they've, even if it's just the, hey, how are you doing? Now you're kind of back on their radar. You're not pushing yourself on them in like an annoying way. Um, <laughs> and, and then also getting out to local... Um, there's a thing here in Philly called Rough Cut. Um, it's basically like an open mic for filmmakers um, where you go, you sign up on the list. If you have like a, a clip that you want to show and get feedback uh, and they get a terrific turnout. It's once a month. They, they get like anywhere from like 80 to 100 people that show up. Um, and it's just a good opportunity to get out, network, talk to other people, get your name out there maybe find somebody that's doing something um, where you can hire them for a job. Um, so I think it goes, you know, it goes both ways as much as I'll hit people up and try to stay relevant that way. I also keep on a lookout for there's a post on Facebook um, and somebody's looking for whatever it might be a motion graphics artist or a DP in Ohio or in California or in North Carolina, I have enough of a network where I might be able to make a suggestion. Um, and people genuinely appreciate that. Um, and so I'll get hit up a lot. People will text me, Hey, you know, uh, whatever, a gaffer in New Mexico. Um, so I think that's a big thing is you have to build up your network for sure. Uh, and just engaging genuinely with that network, it just pays dividends. Right. And obviously doing a good job for those people, right. <laughs> They'll tend to come back. Yeah. To you, wouldn't you say? Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. And it's cool to shed light on that side of it. Who, um, I know you've dealt with so many people who would you say has been like, had the biggest influence on you and your career? Hmm. That's a good, that is a good question. That's a tough one, huh? I threw you a zinger on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it's, it, hmm. it's interesting. I mean, the, the advice that Khalid gave me um, about just focusing and putting myself as editor, I think was the biggest, I think that was the big turning point for mm -hmm. me to a degree. Hey, John, John, we're big. Honestly, I've shown everybody um, his work as well as um, Bloom. 
uh, if you remember that piece. And uh, I, I'm just a big Khalid uh, fanboy because he does his work's amazing. You know, he's yeah, uh, he, he, and I've, I've had the privilege of working with him a couple times, and he's 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 a maniac, not in a bad way, but he's a maniac. He's very. <laughs> Um, he's just so he's like so into it and his pack is like very contagious you can't like if you're around him you're you're either super I, I would think it's way you're either super into what he's doing or you're not I don't think there's any like middle ground there um, it's hard not to get excited when I when I talk to him or hang out with him um, so I think yeah I guess probably it's funny because I think he's He's definitely younger than me, but in a lot of ways, um, I look up to him. Um, so he's, he's been a, he's been a big one. And then beyond that, um, it's been a collection of, I think it's been a big collection of people and, uh, not to self promote, but you know, with masters emotion now, uh, going on the ninth year, it's crazy. Uh, obviously I've attended all of them since I run it. Um, but, I, but I feel like, uh, it's insane. All the different people that I've met and learned from and just taking little nuggets from all these different people. And we try to do it where it's people from all different departments. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so I feel like that has given me a very cohesive look at filmmaking as a whole and never, Never sort of, uh, uh, not that I ever really did it in the first place, but like never taking any other department um, for granted or what somebody else does as less than um, the contribution that you're making to a film. Because I think it all, like everything, you could look at it and say, okay, the most important people on a, on a movie are, um, you know, the director, the DP, and the editor. Mm-hmm. Um but then, not really, because, uh, you know, if you have bad production design, the visuals aren't going to look as good. If your gaffer is not as good, the lighting's not going to be as good. If you don't have a terrific sound designer, sound mixer, and it sounds like crap, that, that shoots everything else in the foot. So, as gay as, as it is, it really is a very collaborative um, work. Right. Uh, that, that so, I think really seeing the value in everyone else and and treating them as stuff has been a huge huge thing for me mm-hmm. um that that works out just treating everybody with respect doing the best job that you can mm-hmm. um and then cross crossing your fingers and, and holding on for the for the famine parts of the speech <laughs> and famine right it sounds like even Christina's had some good influence on it too. And uh, don't be shameless about. We, we want you to self promote a little bit. What's your website? Is it it's shooteditlearn.com? Yeah, and also now um, themotion.co.co. Beautiful. We'll also be there. There's some karate dojo in uh, California that got the dot com. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> well, we'll make sure we put that in the show notes so people can check out that link. Oh, that, that, yeah. that, that makes if they sense. Wanna, they, if they want to do karate, you know, they can do it another way. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, do you, good actor. How are you filling up for this year, John? <clears throat> Doing good. Um, registration is actually, I mean, we haven't promoted it or anything, but um, it's already open. Tickets are selling already, um, which is insane to me, but 
Uh, I guess at this point in time, you know, people people know it's a legit thing. It's going to happen, and they have faith that uh, regardless of who we bring there, you know, we've, we've set we've, we've set a standard. Like, they know whoever it is, it's going to be good, I guess. So that's crazy to me. Yeah, their tickets are already selling. Do you stay in touch with any of the... Uh, um your guests or, or any of the uh, people you've uh, lectures or uh, speakers that you have. And do you feel like you can call up, uh, you know, Vince and say, Hey, I'd like to run something by you. I mean, have they been open to that? Or, you, you know, you just try to stay in your lane. What do you, how do you find that relationship? No, it's great. I mean, it's crazy. I, um, uh, when I, when I was editing Moot, uh, we, we finally got it to a point where we were happy with the cut and we're getting advice from um you know friends we're me and the director we're, we're like screening it for friends and stuff like that and um i said well you know one of the past presenters at um mim was alex bono who's now director and and started a uh series documentary now i mean he's a genius as documentaries go um and so i texted him and said hey uh you know i'm working on this documentary on anthony scaramucci blah blah blah. i have a cut would you have any interest in taking a look at it and giving me some feedback and he was like yeah absolutely send That's it great. over it's awesome and then and then one of the other speakers was um kurt engafford and uh he did he was michael moore's editor so he edited uh fahrenheit 9 11 bowling for Colin. yeah sure and i sent it and he looked at it, and it was like twelve. It must have been like almost midnight. And he texted me like, "Yeah, this guy's not watching it. Can I, can I just call you? I think it'll be easier than like trying to write this all out." And so I was like out in my garage at midnight. Um, <laughs> the documentary editor, he, you know, edited things of the Oscars, and he's like giving me advice on what parts he thinks suck, what parts <laughs> he thinks are good. And it was just, yeah, it was. It was crazy. So yeah, I, I keep in touch with um, with a lot of the people um, from MIM, and I think the thing now uh, that we've done a pretty good—I I don't know if we really did anything, but it's just attracted like a certain. I think if people agree to come and talk, they're already probably a certain type of a person that wants to give back. And sure. but we really try to try to get no no divas. Um, we just really want, you know, as far as speakers, yes, we want them to be extremely talented, the best at what they're doing, but also to sort of embody the same kind of thing that that we do. And it's really, yeah, it's worked out great. It's yeah, you guys do an awesome of, job of selecting your guests, man. That is one thing we've noticed. Um, and I know we've talked a lot. You guys, you do a tremendous amount. I know we've talked about a lot. Like, we know you're a family, man. What, is, what are some of the things you do for fun, and what are the things you like to enjoy doing with the family? Yeah, that's... Uh, it's interesting because I think everybody, um, you know, besides the, the feast and famine, um, and maybe because of that, uh, one, one of the toughest things is like trying to strike a work-life balance, uh, the ever-elusive work-life balance. Um, and so I think uh, one thing, without really getting to the, the documentary that I'm working on now, but some of the, some of the subject matter really has me looking at um, how, I'm, how I'm interacting with my phone uh, and social media and things like that. And so 
I deleted Facebook um, off of my phone, just the app. And it's crazy. Like the first week that I did that, I found myself uh, taking my phone out of my pocket and just turning it on. And like, I was like looking around on my phone. I was like, what am I doing? Like, I'm not, there's nothing for me to be doing on my phone. I'm just out of habit, you know, doing that. And so one of the things with our kids, I have a, we have a five-year-old and a three-year-old daughter, um, is I don't want them to see uh, my phone taking precedence over me hanging out with them. So I've been trying anyway to be very aware of what I'm doing when I'm with them. Um, So I really try to keep the phone in my pocket enjoy my time with them um because at this point they're interested in me and they they want to hang out with me and i know there's a time that's coming probably not too far off in the future where they're not going to want to hang out with me and not want to hear uh what i have to say so um yeah i'm really just trying to be present um with them and enjoy enjoy my time with them you know being a parent is not easy you know a lot of times people uh, speaking of social media, mm-hmm. um, they'll just post on Instagram, you know, all the, we're at an apple orchard or we're here in a park, you know, we're, we're having a great time. It's incredibly, incredibly difficult. Hardest, hardest thing I've ever done in life is, uh, become a, become a dad. Um, so, I mean, there's no, there's no real, there's no rule book. There's no owner's manual. <laughs> right. It doesn't come with instructions, right? <laughs> no, you just, you just got to figure it out. And they both, um, you know, they're getting good reports from their teachers, so we must be doing something right. But, yeah, I just try to, um, you know, hang out with them. Make sure if there's something that they're interested in, like Olivia and Christina does a great job. That, um, like Olivia started uh, showing interest in, music and singing and so we have her in in piano lessons but it's we're not trying to force anything on them it's like okay let's go try this um they did soccer for a little bit but they were like not not all that interested in it so it's like all right fine let's try you know let's try something else um well i think the fact that you're present you know i mean that that speaks volumes right you're not only just there you're present right you're 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 engaging and you know that's what they're going to remember i'm sure yeah, and it's like um, I take them to school uh, every morning, um, and Christina will go and pick them up. Um, there's been a couple of cases, like obviously, you know, if I'm out of town, I can't do it. But if, no, no matter what's going on, even if I'm uh, on a deadline and I'm editing until whatever, two in the morning, um, I make a point uh, to make sure that I'm up, ready to go, so that they, you know, they see – um, nothing else is, is priority over them. Um, I'm trying anyway to show them that. Uh, and I, I think that kind of stuff is, is important. It's not easy. It's, it's hard to do sometimes. Um, but I, but I think it is really, really important, uh, to let them know that they matter and, and try to help them out however you can. Yeah. I think if you, you know, obviously you stay true to that and, and that's what, what's, what matters. 
you know, I, I can't thank you enough for doing this and and, and really helping this out, uh, John. I mean, it kind of exemplifies what you're what you're saying. You know, we're, we're we go through the same struggles, and that's kind of what prompted this uh, um, this podcast. We we wanted to show that what you see on social media is the greatest hits, right? I mean, everything on there is you know this great stuff that you're doing. Right. But the reality is, you know, these jobs are hard to come by. And this is a game of attrition, right? I mean, you just got to be willing to do it. And but I, I tell you what, I'd rather work with great people in my in my foxhole who are just humble and hardworking, and than than any diva any day. Do you know? I mean, it's I, I think you just tend to create uh, great work, and so you know, we really appreciate you coming on and helping us out, John. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's a I, I think that's a big thing. I, I think one of the dangers. Uh, when people start out, I think it's, is letting the ego really, uh, take control and, and coming off like a know it, like, even if you do know way more than other people coming off as like a know it all, or that's not, it's not, it's not going to bode well for you in the future. I think, um, being humble, doing the best job that you can and just being nice to everybody, um, and not doing it because you think, you know, it's going to get you somewhere, but just being a nice person in general um is is huge nobody wants to work with an asshole <laughs> that's might, awesome you know you're so they right might, john they absolutely might, <laughs> yeah they might like you might do it but you're probably not going to do it twice <laughs> you'll do it once I, right I, yeah. yeah sometimes you have to do that to know that i'm never working with this guy again yeah. he's terrible all right thanks so much man yeah, man john thank you sir yeah have a good um, one all right, thanks all right bye john all right bye Okay, that was John Connor, founders of Masters in Motion. Please, again, if you haven't, check him out on Instagram from at John Connor. Um, he had, if you haven't had a chance, check out the Muhammad Ali a Life, uh, which is on epics.com. Uh, and hopefully um, you get, um, so you can spread this uh, podcast to who you know. And if they're interested in this and would love to contribute, uh, we are still looking for guests. We are out. Thank you so much.